This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Monday. Thanks for hanging out with us. It is seven days until the election. It's a week. That is a I can't week. Till until the election, y'all. Oh my goodness. We have been counting down. You have been sticking around with us from story to story to interview, everything. And we hope you honestly feel informed. We hope those undecided voters who may be listening feel informed and maybe they have made a decision by listening to some of the content. I don't know, hopefully. But either way, just vote. Just get it done. Yeah, it's really uh-huh. good. I agree. And hopefully this also inspires you to talk to that person maybe in your life who might not be voting as well. Right. That Mm. is there. We have those friends or family members. Yes, yes, yes. And actually, we have someone on later on in the show who tells us a little story about that because they have a new show, um, like a web series, uh, Undocumented. Right, Shira? Yeah, it's about queer immigrants. Mm. And so he's going to be joining us later in the show. He's a really incredible documentarian and filmmaker. Definitely hang out with us for that. It's also Intersex Awareness Day. And we wanted to give a shout out to all of those in the intersex community. We see you. And we actually had Betsy Driver on last year. She's the first openly intersex person elected to public office. And you can check out that interview on our site and our podcast we are channelq.com. And we've been thinking about checking in on her, see how she's doing. So um, expect that coming up too. Yep. Well, let's get into some what's trending this hour. A video is being shared of Joe Biden mistaking Trump for George. Four more years of George. Uh, George, uh, he uh, is going to find ourselves in a position where if uh, Trump gets elected, uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in a different world. Yeah, many are saying he fumbled, confusing Trump with George W. Bush. Biden and President Barack Obama took office after George W. Bush's second term ended. So the mistaken reference may have been to the 43rd president who served from 2001 to 2009. Doesn't really help the cause when, you know, Trump and Republicans say that he's too old, that he's going through dementia. Yeah, that's a bit much. But I will say, I don't know how um, this news came out, but I feel like it came out recently where obviously people started to realize that if Joe Biden would be the president, he would be like the oldest president in in, um, like U.S. history. Like ever. Oh, like that's I mean, that's intense. I mean, he's 77. Imagine that's that's pretty old. (laughs) It is pretty old. 
But I think he is most definitely qualified to get the job done. I really, truly believe That's true. And he has Kamala. So, you know, Kamala is a good one to have by your side. That's for sure. So Trump tweeted early this morning, Joe Biden called me George yesterday. Couldn't remember my name. Got some help from the anchor to get him through the interview. The fake news cartel is working overtime to cover it up. Moving on, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie said yesterday that he was surprised Vice President Mike Pence planned to continue campaigning after at least five of his aides, including his chief of staff, reportedly tested positive for COVID-19 in recent days. And here is Christie on ABC News. When I found out that I got COVID that Friday morning, I immediately quarantined myself um, and ultimately wound up in the hospital. But you got to keep yourself away from everybody, and, I, and I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. Chris Christie is loving the spotlight right now, by the way. He loves the fact that, you know, because he's spoken out against everything happening a bit, he's kind of like in the middle. He's getting a lot of attention from the media. I think he likes the attention. Well, he is a he is a television personality correspondent. He's always on yeah. TV at some point. He's always he on is. The View. Um, but um, no. He's trash, and I don't care if he's on now the right side of history after getting the virus, um, but no. No thanks. Bye. Well, he <laughs> he was hospitalized for the coronavirus earlier this month after attending, remember that White House event and helping President Donald Trump prepare for his first debate. He's trying to stay, st uh, stay safe now, though, as we hear. Now, this is wild. This is going on right now in America, this election. A man is being charged for burning a ballot box. The fire started early Sunday morning inside a ballot drop box in Boston's Back Bay neighborhood. By the time firefighters stopped the blaze by filling the inside of the box with water, dozens of ballots in it had been destroyed. They finally made an arrest, and uh, that alleged person is World D. Armand. He's 39. He was taken into custody. And Armand is an active uh, or has an active arrest warrant for receiving stolen property, and he will be arraigned in Boston for willful and malicious burning. He going to jail. Now he going to jail. I mean, he tampered with also the election Messed as up. well. Yeah. Like he's going to jail for a while. I mean, I hope Worldly, which is an interesting name, I hope he uh, uh, also gets some help because what a way to ruin your life. Right. Uh, and I wonder if he's a Democrat or Republican. We haven't figured that it don't even out yet. It honestly doesn't matter. Anybody who is willing to, you know, destroy a piece of democracy is just not good in my book, no matter what side they're on. Yeah. Well, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, we got a couple things here in the T-Report. Let's see if we have time to get to them. So Borat star Sasha Baron Cohen, I mean, in the news, I still have yet to watch the new film. I'm going to watch it probably tonight because people in my life keep telling me to watch it. Yeah, um, but I, I watched half of it, by the way, on Friday night, and then I fell asleep. Okay, so then maybe once I watch it and you finish watching it, we can talk about it here on the show. But um, Sasha Baron Cohen has responded to cr criticisms aimed at him from D President Donald Trump following the release of the new Borat. Or at sequel. Here is what went down. On Friday, Trump told reporters that he thought Sasha was a phony guy and a creep when asked if he was watching the new movie. Um, well, on Saturday, Sasha said this by thanking the president for the film's free marketing and insinuated that Trump would be voted out of office this upcoming election. Here we go. He said, Donald, I appreciate the free publicity for Borat. I admit, I don't find you funny either, but but yet the whole world laughs at you. Um, he said, I'm always looking for people to play racist buffoons and you'll need a job after January 20th. Let's talk. 
Oh my God. No, the thing is, why didn't Trump just say, no, I don't have time to watch Borat because I'm the president. I'm running the country. I'm running for office. I don't know why you keep doing that, thinking like, well, why didn't the president say this? He's just not that guy. And honey, that is your T-Report. We got more coming up next hour. So stick around. Jared Kushner has said a few things about Black Americans and how they're grappling with inequality. Does it make sense at all? We're playing that clip next after this. White House advisor Jared Kushner was discussing working with Ice Cube on the Platinum Plan and had an interesting take on Black America's issues with inequality and racism in the country uh, during an interview today on Fox and Friends. Seen in a lot of the the, the, the Black community, which is mostly Democrat, is that uh, President Trump's policies are the policies that can help people break out of the problems that they're complaining about. But he can't want them to be successful more than they want to be successful. And what you're seeing throughout the country now is a groundswell of support in the Black community because they're realizing that all the different bad things that the media and the Democrats have said about President Trump uh, are not true. Oh yeah, President Trump. He doesn't always say the right things. He does the right things. It could be like a, a motto for uh, his election in 2020. Back with us is Mark Fisher, senior editor from The Washington Post. Thanks again for being here. Great to see you. Uh, yeah. I mean, was this the right thing to say right now or a, less than a week until the election? And they obviously are trying to get black voters uh, to vote for Trump. Is this the way to do it? Well, I mean, it's not a traditional way of doing it. Um, But, you know, uh, from the Trump campaign perspective, I don't think they're going to be all that unhappy with the way this is playing out uh, for two reasons. Number one, this is what they genuinely believe. Number two, it's having some impact. Not this quote in particular, but this attitude, this approach. Uh, Donald Trump is, uh, by all polls account, doing better than he did last time among black voters. Now, that doesn't mean he's doing well, he's doing terribly, but he's doing less terribly than last time. And a movement of just a few percent, uh, a few uh, hundred thousand black people who don't come out for Joe Biden, who don't vote or who do vote for Donald Trump can make the difference in some of these key states. So they're, they're working around the edges and around those edges, this kind of message, the, the, the same kind of out with the powers that be anti-elite, the kind of message that's guaranteed to outrage the left can actually work for Donald Trump. So that's really interesting, right? Because I think reports have been saying that black Americans are really coming out in large numbers, early voting. And even by Tuesday, more than 601,000 black Americans have voted early in Georgia compared to lower numbers like two weeks before the 2016 election. However, and I found this to be quite interesting. However, some black voters in Georgia are saying that they're mistrustful after the 2018 election with Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. How do you think that's really going to impact what we're seeing now, especially with everything going on when it comes to the black vote? Well, I mean, I think it's clear that there's more motivation for black voters this time than there was last time. There was no great emotional connection between black Americans and Hillary Clinton, just as there was no great connection between white Americans and Hillary Clinton. And so uh, what you're seeing is uh, a really impressive movement of black voters to the early polls, to the mail-in ballots. Um, But it has to be said that by all accounts, in those states that report those numbers by party, we're seeing 
equal or greater enthusiasm among Trump voters. Mm. So uh, th- this is a, an election that everybody's riled up about. We can all agree on that. Uh, and so it's not entirely clear. So should Biden be worried? Line. Should Biden and Harris yeah. kind of be worried with that type of statement? Yeah, I mean, as Biden said the other night, uh, he's not taking anything for granted here, and he uh, he's, he he still sees a path for Donald Trump to win, as do the the Trump folks. So um, that's entirely possible. Yeah, Mark Fisher is with us, senior editor from the Washington Post, and when we see uh, people like Ice T, Fifty Cent, uh, rapper. Oh, Ice Cube. Sorry, wrong, wrong Ice. <laughs> ice tea sounds delicious. But, uh, uh, little, p- little pump. Yeah. Uh, all endorsing President Trump specifically because of Joe Biden uh, and the Democrats uh, approach player. to taxes. Yeah. You know, how is that going to impact things right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, in in many ways in this country, class uh, is is as important, if not more important, than race. And so, uh, people who think of themselves as wealthy or are wealthy or would like to be wealthy someday often vote uh, sort of against what we would classically think of as their own economic interests. And uh, and you know the the Kushner and. Trump stories are appealing to some people in that these are guys who uh, have made their money um, in, through often scurrilous ways. And, you know, both the Kushners and the Trumps were uh, made a lot of money owning slum housing and uh, owning just really sub, sub uh, sub-quality housing and uh, taking advantage of their tenants. And uh, that's not something most people admire, uh, but the idea that they're, they've are they gotten rich kind of in this scruffy way is uh, unfortunately but appealing to some. Have, having rappers like this that a lot of, suppose, I mean, you would think that the, maybe the black community look up to. No, to think that's they do really, As the black or, person that's what I was in this conversation. Well, that's what I was no, going to ask. No, we do but, not look up to those people. And also, most black folks in this country are not making $400,000 plus a year because of the system that we're currently in. So really, I I do wonder, like Shira's kind of asking, how much does, in general, does celebrity endorsement really impact voters' mind frame when going into the booth? I I don't think it makes much of a difference at all. And, um, you know, I I think that's been proven in election after election. Hey, if if Hollywood folks uh, had a meaningful impact on the election, uh, we'd be talking about President Clinton's run for re-election right now. Mm. Yeah. All right. Mark Fisher, thanks again for being with us today. Okay. Mark Fisher is the senior editor from the Washington Post. And by the way, Kaylee McEnany, White House press secretary, did defend Kushner, saying that, quote, internet trolls took Kushner's words out of context. She said they were trying to distract from Trump's undeniable record of accomplishment for black people. Now coming up, are we on to the third wave of the pandemic in the U.S.? And has the administration given up on defeating COVID-19? What was revealed in an interview with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows over the weekend? Next in two minutes. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows dropped some interesting comments on CNN over the weekend that alarmed many, including medical experts. We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation. Why aren't we going to get control of the because, pandemic? But because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but why not make contag- efforts to contain it? Well, we are making efforts to contain it. Back with us is KNX Program Director Ken Charles. Ken, the countdown is on. I know you're busy, so thank you for being here. Happy to be here. So what did you think about this uh, and the irony in saying follow regulations, but then in the same breath, none of them are taking it seriously or wearing masks? Well, you could see it. I mean, if you watch the 60 Minutes interview, 
I mean, Kelly McEnany walked in afterwards with the 800,000-page alleged um, health care plan, not wearing a mask. Other people in the White House are not wearing masks. Um, so hearing Mark Meadows say they've kind of given up on trying to control coronavirus, he, I think he's just stating honestly the obvious what so many people and so many medical experts have seen over the last six months. I mean, it's the most embarrassing thing that the chief of staff of the guy who is running the coronavirus task force has coronavirus. It's just very wild to me. But that's not really stopping the White House because obviously there's an expected Senate confirmation that's supposed to be happening. And that could be like this new super spreader event when it comes to Amy Amy Coney Barrett or whatever her name is. What do we think about that? What's going to happen? Do you think we're going to start seeing more increases from that event? Well, so I saw today, um, and I got to find this because this, this was this was actually really, really good. Okay, so three outbreaks of COVID happened in September in Bemidji, Minneapolis, and Duluth, Minnesota, all directly linked to Trump campaign events. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to see these spreads um, of these of, of of these cases, and already at Trump events. So, you know, we already know that her first little soiree at the White House was a giant super spreader event. But I understand that the Democrats have been in contact with Pence and have asked him not to attend. Okay, yeah, interesting. And also Kamala Harris reacted to Mark Meadows' statements as well. Here's what she had to say. They are admitting defeat. And I've been saying that and Joe Biden has been saying that since the beginning. This is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of America. So with this, with this whole thing about the administration accepting defeat, does this hurt Trump in terms of his voters or does it matter? It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, his statement from four and a half years ago still holds. He could walk down Times Square and shoot somebody and still get reelected. Coronavirus does not seem to be on his side. Um, of the aisle, the thing that's going to get people not to vote for him. It is on on, on the left. I mean, Democrats are all looking at it. Where I think it hurts him is not that hard 42%. It's you can see the numbers of, um, you know, unaligned voters shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And it does seem like coronavirus is the thing that is pushing them to vote and to vote for Joe Biden in this election. And look at, you know, he wants suburban women to love him. It looks like suburban women who kind of abandoned Hillary Clinton are all of a sudden coming to the party for Joe Biden. Hmm. Latinos, African-Americans, younger voters, we're seeing those groups vote early um, in huge numbers compared to 2016. Those are numbers that don't bode well for a Republican victory, not only at the top of the ticket, but in some cases down the ballot as well. Yeah. KNX program director. Yeah. KNX program director Ken Charles is with us right now.
So, Ken, while you were speaking, I was thinking about this idea when Trump came in, he benefited off of a lot of the good stuff that Obama and Joe Biden did during their administration. But on the other hand, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win and we're still kind of dealing with this pandemic, a lot of this stuff is possibly going to be blamed on them if they don't automatically get it fixed. Is that adding extra pressure and extra weight on the possibility of them having a good, you know, term with if they are elected into office? Like, how much is that really going to impact? Listen, you know, the, the, the dirty little secret about presidents is they affect very little in the now and they affect a lot a year, two years, three years down the road, especially when it comes to the economy. Look, you, you, there are people who will make the argument that some of the things that benefited the Obama economy were tough decisions that George Bush made um, in 2007, 2008. You could say the same thing about Clinton, you know, look, no new taxes. When he raised taxes, George H.W. Bush helped Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton absolutely in the early years of George Bush helped him. So that's not a surprise that the things that happened, both good and bad for a president before you, affect you. You know, he's got a mess to clean up. And I think that there are going to be some very hard times. I mean, look, his, he, he's talking about spending, what, 2.6, 2.7, 2.1, whatever it is, trillion dollars on getting a stimulus package passed as soon as he's in the White House. Something if Joe Biden wins. He's got to pay for that. How is he going to pay for that? He's raising corporate income taxes, and he's going to raise taxes on people who are making over $400,000. Ken Charles will be with us, of course, on election night because we'll be bringing you coverage right here on Channel Q. And of course, he's on KNX. He's the program director. Now coming up next, fake Melania resurfaced this weekend. More details on that conspiracy theory next in two minutes. We all know that Melania hasn't really been on the campaign trail, and last week she did follow President Trump to the debate, but a lot of people are saying now that it wasn't actually Melania. Here's where the conspiracy theory comes in. Over the weekend, hashtag fake Melania started trending on social media. Pictures of her on that chopper before the debate in Nashville are being scrutinized. People are calling out her teeth, saying they look different. The wrinkles on her cheeks, they're not there. (laughs) What do you think about this theory, Ryan? (laughs) I mean, my first uh, question is, which cheeks are you referring to? Um, But uh, I think it's interesting. I feel like in that photo, yeah, she does look different. And honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if she turns out to be like, that wasn't her. Because you just never know with like that couple in general. And then also you just, you never know what secrets this administration is kind of hiding, right? And like, um, I think one day we're going to get like a tell-all are a oh, documentary yeah. of like all the secrets that this administration's had and like the imposters that were either Baron or <laughs> Melania where they weren't really them when we saw them. All right. I mean, this is interesting because, you know, her friend that did that tell all book, you would think if she was doing a fake Melania thing, like she had a uh, person playing her, we would have already discovered this from that best friend who basically dragged her and threw her under the bus. So I think this is fake. This might be part of the fake news. However, as you mentioned, it when you look at these pictures, it does seem a bit strange. And if she's smart, because she doesn't want to hang out with Trump, because she doesn't want to really be out there right now, why not hire a double? Well, my thing is not 
just her teeth. It's like her nose looked different. Like, but I know sometimes you take a photo, like, honey, if I accidentally open up the camera at the wrong yeah. angle, I look like a completely different person. Like, I look a mess. And I'm like, I scare myself being like, who the hell is this? Um, so I, you know, I get it. Different angles really can mess you up. But I do think this was just probably like a fun moment that everyone came together on. But you never know. Some people might actually believe this, like, for oh, yeah. real. So there was a news report where they actually interviewed the guy who started this. He's like the founding member of the fake Melania theory. Imagine claiming that as that's your claim to fame, uh, because this isn't the first time people have shared this theory. It's cropped up at least twice before in 2019 when Trump and Melania visited Alabama after the tornado to survey the damage. She had these massive shades on. And then he said there's no way that that's her speculating at that point that she's got a few different body doubles. Oh my God. I mean, maybe she does. What, wouldn't you like a body double so you can be in two yes. places at once? I would love a body double. Listen, and that's the thing. If she's going to have, if this is true, good on her for having a body double. This is a smart way to work. You know, if any of us had enough resources, I think that all of us would say we'd want a body double, right? Oh, hell yeah. If I didn't, if I didn't have to be here, I would have a body double to do this show. I mean, they may not sound like me, but I could just say I had a code. Like, literally, I'm under the weather. It's that simple. All you have to do is twist the story and people will believe it. Let's be real. In the future, when we can, uh, you know, what's it called? Clone ourselves. It's going to happen. That's going to be like the rich person's solution. And then hopefully they'll make it more accessible for all of us. No, that's not how uh, the capitalism works, Shira. No, that's not how capitalism works. Thanks for the reality check. Uh, meanwhile, Trump, on his part, uh, has denied this, calling it fake news, as you can imagine, and the administration, too. They're saying this is ridiculous. Okay, well, coming up, we've got What's Trending This Hour. More details on the Supreme Court confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. Coming up on the show, how pandemic fatigue is leading to outbreaks across the U.S. And the creator and star of Undocumented Tales, it's a great award-winning web series, joins us to talk about a voting campaign bringing together the Latinx and queer communities. Oh my God, when I tell you um, the fatigue is really, really setting in for me personally, like I am so sick of being in the house. Like I went to dinner and I've, I've that was really nice to get out with a friend. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been to brunch and we were safe. But even then, I, I feel like those are the only times that I've actually gotten out. And it's just like, I'm starting to go a little crazy too. So I get it. I'm understanding. I'm starting to have a little bit more of a empathy to those who are experiencing the fatigue of being like, oh my God, this is way too much. Cabin fever. Totally. Uh, you know, it's also like you forget sometimes. Like you, you're hanging out maybe away from people. You have the six feet, you're outside. And it's only, I don't know if this has happened with you where you're like, oh, I guess like we've been safe, right? And you kind of you create your own rules, which we can't do because this is why we're seeing this spike, right? Yeah. Uh, like we need to be consistent about it and not create rules just for ourselves thinking uh, that will be okay because then it affects other people. That's how it works. So true. So uh, true. But let's get into some what's trending this hour. Members of the Republican-controlled Senate voted overwhelmingly to end the Democratic filibuster on Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court confirmation. Senate Democrats held an all-night session overnight on Sunday in protest of the quick process to confirm Coney Barrett. And here's Senator Chuck Schumer discussing that. This Republican majority is ramming this nomination through 
only because they can. Might makes right in their view. That is so wrong. That is so against the American principle of democracy and rule of law. And so I will move to adjourn so that we consider this nomination after the election that is now ongoing. Well, despite all of those Democrats speaking out, Amy Coney Barrett's final confirmation into the Supreme Court will be held tonight. Now, Catholics in the U.S. will get their first African-American cardinal next month. In a surprise announcement Sunday from his window overlooking St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis named Wilton Gregory, the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., among 13 new cardinals. Seems like uh, the Pope's doing a lot of progressive things these days, right? From yeah. announcing, yeah, he's cool with same-sex marriage. We're getting no, he's cool with civil unions. <laughs> civil unions. I we got our don't. first black cardinal. All right. I mean, I, but here's the thing. It's not really shocking for this Pope. This Pope has always kind of been the more progressive um, Pope that I feel like we've seen in modern history. So it's kind of like not shocking. Um, but I'm wondering how big of an effect is it actually happening, is it actually having on the Catholic community? Yeah, I mean, we will see. And it's interesting that it comes right as the election is hitting. He's making all these announcements very close to one another. What's a a cardinal? I'm Jewish. Do you want to ask someone else, please? (laughs) Someone important. Wait, I'm going to Google it right now. Wait a second. I'm going to Google it right now. And a car. Oh, well, a bird popped up. Um, So that's not it. Uh, <laughs> this real-time um, Google thing is really working. No, here, it's happening. It's happening, Catholic. What is it? A cardinal is a leading bishop and prince of the College of Cardinals in the Catholic Church. Oh, so he's the first black one. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's just someone, it's really important for the Catholic Church. And Shout he's going to be- Catholics. Yes, he'll be elevated to the position in a ceremony at the Vatican on November 28th. And he thanked Pope Francis for this appointment, which will allow him to work more closely in caring for Christ's church and, of course, all the people. Uh, He's 72. He's served in many high-profile positions. It seems like this guy's the first for a lot of things. He was elected president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops in 2001, where he became the first African-American to hold the office. So there, too, Mm. he's the first in a lot of places, it seems. At the time, he said he considered his election an expression of the love of the Catholic Church for people of color. And he hoped it would inspire those Black people who are lukewarm in their faith to renew their commitment to the church. You know, I don't know very many Black Catholics, but this is awesome. Cool, I guess. I mean, I don't know, but whatever. Well, well, from the Catholics, (laughs) let's move on to the Jews. The Jews made a lot of noise this weekend. On the East Coast in New York, a caravan of Jewish supporters of President Trump clashed with counter-protesters Sunday in Times Square, leading to fights, objects being hurled at cars, and several arrests. Here's Boris Epstein, a former special assistant to President Trump and co-chair of Jewish Voices for Trump. President Trump has been the biggest champion for the Jewish people in the state of Israel and the Jewish vote in Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, here in New York is going to put them over the top. We're going to win this thing on November 3rd. Now, with more than a week to go until Election Day, the group called Jews for Trump spent most of the day peacefully driving from Brooklyn to Manhattan, rallying for the president. Things took a turn when the caravan made its way, as I mentioned, to Times Square. Uh, This Trump supporter wearing a red hoodie jumped out of his vehicle after a counter-protester taunted his daughter, who was with him, and then escalated with more physical fights. And people had bloodied faces. One person had to be taken away on a stretcher. And that was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. 
All right, let's dive into the T-Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Um, huge shout-out, special shout-out goes to Fortune Themester, who married Jacqueline Smith and Malibu. Oh, my God, how cute. You know, the couple have been together since uh, 2018. They've been dating for two and a half years. They announced their engagement back in 2018, and they rented a house, tied the knot on the backyard patio, which looked onto the ocean. Now, the cute thing is there's basically, it was live-streamed over Zoom, on a computer that was literally set up on a chair in the middle of the patio. So, of course, they are adapting to their new environment, right? Love it. <laughs> yes, you got to do it. So here's some TV some TV news. Um, mm-hmm. Bette Midler confirmed that Hocus Pocus is actually, the cast is reuniting for a sequel. Yes, because, you know, I, I love Hocus Pocus, but watching it the same thing every year, I need something new. True, but guess what? I'm not going to tell you any more details because I ran out of time and you should head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to make sure to go check it out because, honey, let me tell you, the cast is back. And that is your team report coming up next hour. Okay, next up, what wave of COVID-19 are we on? Because according to Dr. Anthony Fauci, it's only the first. More details on that and getting over pandemic fatigue as the country sees new cases on the rise. That's in two minutes. Many states across the country are seeing a resurgence of COVID-19 cases. A big reason behind this, besides the mixed public health messages, is pandemic fatigue and complacency. Back with us is infectious diseases expert Dr. Michael Sag. Thanks for being here. Great being back with you. Uh, And you, of course, are uh, in the trenches in Alabama, and you are also in the hospital right now. What are you seeing? We're seeing what everybody else is seeing except for a few states, and that's a pretty sharp rise in cases, even just over the last four days. We're at probably the highest high watermark that we've been ever. And our case, our test percentage is now up to 24%. We want that number less than 5%. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is a harbinger of bad stuff to come. When you see the test rates that high, that means there's an awful lot of community transmission going on. That's not just Alabama. That's really the whole country with the exception of just a few states. We're in we're in trouble right now. Yeah, I mean, last night I went to dinner and I felt like I saw more people out and about with no mask. And I and I think I've even having discussions with my friends about kind of feeling like left out at this point where people are starting to look at everyone else kind of going about their lives being like, why am I still taking this seriously when everyone else around me is, you know, returning back to their normal lives? What do you have to say to people who are feeling that way and who are kind of getting this fatigue that we're all sort of feeling? Well, first off, I get it. I'm going through it too. The difference I think is that especially for younger folks, Um, this is becoming too much. Uh, People are getting cabin fever, but above all, they're getting COVID fever or just being tired of of dealing with this every day, day in, day out, day in, day out. Every day feels like Wednesday. And so the point is that we've got to get, we've got to redouble. When we go back to March, when this was all new, everybody was in it together. We did all the stuff we had to do. We brought it under control. Then Memorial Day, everybody said, oh, okay, I've had enough. By Labor Day, people are over it. They want to just get back to life as normal. And there is, there is no getting back to normal as long as this virus is here. And here's the bad news. Okay. With the, with, the, with the rise in cases, 
that we've seen in the last three weeks. We're in a worse place we've ever been. And it's a, and if we're tired of it, that's too bad because the virus doesn't care. As we continue talking about this, sorry that I interrupted you because it seems like you're kind of going into what Dr. Anthony Fauci said today that this isn't a third wave, but an elongated first wave since the U.S. never really declined to low levels after its peak. That's exactly right. And what we have to deal with is the, the notion that the virus doesn't care. The virus just wants to infect people. And the more we give it a chance to do that, the more it will take case after case. But going back to the young people, old people kind of scenario, the older folks are scared. I'm one of the older folks. Uh, I've had it before, but all the people that I know who are my age and older, they're not going out. They're staying in because they know if they get this, they're going to have symptoms. And then it's a question of how bad those symptoms are going to be. Younger folks are getting messaging. Oh, well, if, if you get it, there's only a uh, zero point two percent chance that you'll die. Okay, so that means ninety-nine point eight percent chance you won't. That's fine. Yeah. But but not only can you get it and get sick, potentially you also could be spreading it to other people, including parents and grandparents. Yeah. And that's and that's no good. And also, I think it's interesting, as we heard Mark Meadows said, that he wants people to follow the guidelines, but they're not going to necessarily do another shutdown. So with that, where does this leave us? What I heard him say is not only that we're not going to do another shutdown, I heard him sort of waving the white flag, saying, we're not going to do anything except look for a cure, look for a cure, look for some treatments, look for a vaccine. And other than that, best of luck, guys, you're on your own. And that's not, that's not the way you fight an epidemic. Um, that's a sure way to see an explosive number of cases, check, and a rising number of deaths on the way. And where does it end? Uh, we get a vaccine. It comes in maybe, if, if we're really lucky, January of this year. But it's going to take us another six to eight months to get it out there enough to change the trajectory of the epidemic. We shouldn't do that. What we should do is triple down on mask wearing distance, staying uh, out of crowded spaces and staying away from indoor locations. So getting into a restaurant, uh, that's a tough, that's a tough scenario because people, a definition aren't wearing masks and they're talking. So I wonder though, are like healthcare professionals like yourself, are y'all reaching a breaking point? That's a great question. And yes, the answer is yes. And I think we're hitting a breaking point in two domains. The first is obviously just the the fatigue of taking care of so many patients who are sick. And I'm not working on the inpatient unit. I'm in the outpatient and I'm getting tired of, Hmm. I say the same thing every day to every patient. But I'll tell you the other part. It's the fatigue of of being in an environment where we're trying our best to get this under control. And the country, a lot of folks are saying, you know, we're tired of this. We're moving on. And, and the more they move on, the more cases there are. Dr. Michael Sag, thank you again. You're going to be joining us in just a bit to talk about plexiglass and if it actually works to protect you against COVID-19. But right now, after this, we've got the creator of the award-winning series, Undocumented Tales, looking at life as a queer immigrant with us next in two minutes. Now joining us is the creator of the award-winning web series, Undocumented Tales, an undocumented LGBTQ plus filmmaker, Armando Ibanez. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this. Thank you. Well, your series is very powerful and it's very important. Uh, Is it autobiographical? Uh, Some of the experiences, I would say 50% are based on experiences that I lived. 
and some others that um, I, I witnessed or I heard from the community. I'm, I am part of the immigrant and LGBTQ community. So all of these stories, I heard it through 20 years living in this country. What was some of the initial response? Because right now, obviously, you're on season three, which congrats. But what was some of the initial response? Did you feel that pressure of being like, crap, I didn't get some things as perfect as some people would have wanted me to? Do you know what? I feel like uh, I think the pressure comes from my community because sometimes they do ask me, oh, you didn't include this or you didn't include that. But we have so many stories to tell, right? And in mainstream media, unfortunately, we get to see only like one character in a mainstream, uh, in a TV show, and that character appears for five minutes. And here it's a show where you get to see uh, undocumented characters all over, lead characters, supporting characters, and we get to see a difference, right? Uh, I feel like I do feel a pressure because sometimes people want my characters to be perfect. But the main point of this goal is to show undocumented immigrants, LGBTQ immigrants as human beings. And because right now in society, we have this pressure that immigrants should be perfect, right? The good immigrant narrative uh, says that we should speak English, we should go to school, we should be valedictorians, and millions of people do not fit into that uh, into that narrative. And with my project, I wanted to humanize my community, the undocumented immigrant community and the LGBTQ community. Well, you definitely are doing that. Again, you're hearing from Armando Ibanez, the creator of the series Undocumented Tales. Uh, he's also an LGBTQ plus an undocumented filmmaker. You're doing so much. Uh, how much do you uh, include things happening in the news in, in our country into the actual scripted series? You know, uh, actually, that's very important. Ever since I started writing, I knew that I needed to include all, all these uh, movements or uh, actually historical movements in, in politics, right? Like in season one, we have this uh, moment when they approve a uh, driver license for undocumented immigrants in California. In season three, uh, I included when Obama announced um, the approval of DAPA, which was a permit uh, similar to DACA. So I include that because I want to show how the undocumented community reacts to this. What is it that we go through? What do we talk in our homes and how does this affect us? So for me, it's very important to talk about this um, in season one starts in 2013 and then season three is 2015. So it does, it, we get to see a lot of these uh, uh, historic mo- uh, movements in politics in the series. I mean, it's quite incredible, to be quite honest. And I think a lot of the stuff that's happening in this country, especially when it, we're discussing race and just the, the civil unrest that's really happening um, between all people of color, but specifically black and brown folks. Uh, do you think in your next seasons to come, because I'm manifesting it for you, do you think you're going to touch on some of that and really kind of the dynamics between black folks and black, black, black and brown folks in the storytelling and how we all kind of impact each other and our story? Stories, especially through your lens? Yeah, you know what? Yes. I love that question. Let me tell you why. Because the main audience I feel of the show is the, the Latinx community. The Latinx, uh, mostly people who speak Spanish, the bigger audience. It's, uh, so one thing that I've been wanting to talk that I haven't seen in mainstream media, it's the anti-Blackness in the Latino, Latino brown community. Yeah. That is something ever since I 
arrived to this country 20 years ago and I started working in restaurant in the restaurant industry, I realized uh, that racism is sad, right? Uh, and the, the Latino community, the immigrant community, there is a lot of anti-blackness. And I really want to address that because for me, I want to show that just because you're oppressed for being undocumented or being part of the LGBT community that doesn't mean that you cannot be part of, uh, of the oppression oppressing other communities right so there's a lot of racism in in the brown community and that's something that i really want to talk one of the main topics in season four that we're going to be talking about i think that for me that's the way for me to create a conversation and to acknowledge because in our houses we do have that anti-black uncle anti-black cousin and no one talks about it. No one talks openly about it. And I want to address that. We need to address that so we can fix that. Yes. All right, Armando, we're going to take a break right now because you have a big campaign that you have going on right now for the election. It's called Vota Hoda. We're going to be getting into more about that right after this. We are back with Armando Ibanez, creator of the award-winning web series Undocumented Tales, an undocumented LGBTQ plus filmmaker. You have so much going on, and I encourage everyone to check out the YouTube channel Undocumented Tales to watch his series. But you also have a documentary that's out right now, which is really important to talk about yes three days ago we just premiered on the same channel on the same youtube channel a short documentary that i produced and directed called before and after detention and it follows uh the story of three trans women uh one from mexico one from uh, guatemala and one from el salvador and they're escaping violence and transphobia they arrived to the U.S., they asked for asyl political asylum, and after being released from detention center, they realized that they still face transphobia and violence in this country. Yeah. It's called Before and After Detention. That's how you can like Google it on YouTube. Uh, and, and I think it's very important because, again, I do want to educate our own communities, our own immigrant communities. Even right now, when we had these caravans, these immigrant caravans, the, the LGBTQ uh plus community the trans community gets discriminated in their own caravan right mm. uh, so we have everything against uh so because of that i i do want my community to see this documentary and get educated about like at the end of the day we're all human beings but not everyone has the same opportunities and let's talk about this selection season right and just this past final debate we're hearing donald trump talk about immigrants in ways that are just completely disgusting and saying they're being bought over by coyotes and all these things <laughs> what is your reaction to that and especially when it comes to the community that surrounds you and you're part of when it comes to voting Yes, you know, uh, it's it's very sad, right? The fact that we have a big population, not only in this country, but in the world, who are uh, who are lacking tolerance and empathy uh, and, and, and a, a natural education in terms of that. And because of that, there is an organization that I am a member of called Familia Trans Queer Liberation Movement that advocates for queer and trans immigrants. And we created this... Uh, this campaign, they created this campaign, Botajota, and I had the pleasure and honor to direct some videos where we got to see, we, we, we got uh, nine immigrants part of the uh, queer and trans community 
to encourage uh, LGBTQ voters to vote and to educate about the policies and the laws that this administration is currently enforcing towards uh, minorities and towards uh, queer uh, queer uh, communities, I think it's very important that we get educated because um, it's. I think that people don't know the power that a vote has. Uh, many people don't know that they can change, you know, they can change millions of lives by voting. And I think that's, that's why Bota Jota campaign is doing, it's trying to educate our, our, our communities. There are 9 million of LGBTQ people voters registered to vote, but 20% are not registered. Those are big numbers. Huge numbers. History, history. Uh, I think that many people right now, I just had an argument with a friend, not argument, but a conversation with a friend yeah. who said, I'm not interested in voting. I'm not interested in politics, but that's because the outcome of, of the elections is not affecting them as it will affect us. Well, Armando Ibanez, thank you so much for being here and for everything that you're doing. It is so important. We hope to have you back as you continue to create amazing work. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Again, check out the award-winning web series, Undocumented Tales, on YouTube right now. That was the creator and LGBTQ plus filmmaker, Armando Ibanez. And now coming up, we've got What's Trending this hour. Don't go anywhere. Coming up on the show, does plexiglass actually work to prevent the spread of COVID-19? And what you should be looking out for if you're going to be indoors at a restaurant anytime soon? Um, are they even doing that? I don't know if they're doing that yet. Some places are. And yeah, some places are. They're starting to right now. That's not a good idea at all. Just saying. Okay, but let's get into some What's Trending this hour because there's lots going on. MSNBC host Nicole Wallace was joined by MSNBC political analyst Claire McCaskill, who's also a former Democratic senator. And they dragged conservative columnist Becky, Peggy Noonan. Becky, how did... How did I even get to pit Becky? I Peggy mean, Noonan. she is acting like a Becky, if you want exactly. to be quite honest. Uh, for calling Democratic vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris embarrassing for dancing on the campaign trail. I have never been more disappointed in a woman that I thought I admired in my life. She said at the end of that, you didn't read the very last part of that paragraph, Nicole, because she said it's embarrassing. Yeah, well, I'll tell her what's embarrassing right now. Listen up, Peggy. Here's what's embarrassing. A president that pays off porn stars. A president that pulls babies out of the arms of their mothers. A president who says he likes to grab women by the you-know-what. Now that clip is being shared everywhere on social media right now. It's going viral. Noonan, just to give you some context, is a former speechwriter and assistant to President Ronald Reagan. And she sparked backlash over the weekend for her Wall Street Journal op-ed that took aim at Harris, who as we know, is looking to become the first black female vice president. Shout out to that. But this is what she said. And I want your thoughts on this, Ryan. She's the younger candidate going for the younger vote and she's going for a happy warrior vibe, but she's coming across as insubstantial frivolous when she started to dance in the rain on stage in Jacksonville, Florida to Mary J. Blige's work that it was embarrassing. I mean, that clip said everything that I I need to say, to be honest. I mean, it's, this is just another microaggression from a, a columnist that doesn't deserve to even have their platform, uh, to be quite honest. And to critique Kamala in that way felt more like you have an issue with who she is as a person and uh, maybe possibly her as a woman in that position. Like you're projecting what you think you you want to be and what you see other women should be in that position. Strange. And it's, it's just gross. And it was obviously, in my opinion, very 
very racist um, for her to critique in that way. Critique your president. Critique the person in office who is, you know, who let over 200,000 folks die of a virus that he said he downplayed. Critique everything else that this, that man is doing and mind your damn business. Some people don't deserve to be able to write on these huge platforms. I'm sorry. She doesn't deserve a job. And Wall Street Journal, I mean, that's a a pretty big one to be publishing this. So, yeah, you can uh, check that clip out because it's uh, definitely being shared right now. Let's move on to Senator Rand Paul, who said he would like restaurants to hire more staff that have previously contracted the coronavirus. During a rally for Nick Freitas, a Republican candidate for Congress in Central Virginia yesterday, Paul suggested to a crowd that he would make the call himself if he had a restaurant. Quote, if I owned a restaurant, I'd have a whole wing for senior citizens or for anybody who is worried about getting sick. And I would say all my servers have already had it. If I had a cruise ship, everyone would have had the infection that works on the on the boat. Now, Paul also referred to his previous coronavirus diagnosis during the rally, saying that once you've had COVID-19, you are immune. Now, the CDC has released guidance Contradicting Paul's stance, people are not immune to reinfection after recovering from the coronavirus, according to the CDC. Oy, oy, oy. Now, the New York Post endorsed President Donald J. Trump for re-election. This was big and it appeared on the cover of the New York Post today. They said... We can return to the explosive job creation, rising wages and general prosperity we had before the pandemic. We can have economic freedom and opportunity and resist cancel culture and censorship. We can put anus horribilis 2020 behind us and make America great again, again. We could do all this if we make the right choice on November 3rd. Now, of course, this comes after those Hunter Biden, uh, the computer that the New York Post posted that whole article about the emails referencing, of course, Ukraine again, and they were censored by social media. So it seems like they're taking a stand for President Trump and the Republicans right now, officially. Now, we are sending lots of uh, love and prayers to everyone in California right now. There's a fire happening, the Silverado fire in Irvine, California. That explains so much. I was actually wondering if there was another fire because literally, if you look outside my window, it is the smog is crazy. The fire, like the smoke is like beyond. I was really wondering that. Wow, that's crazy. Oh my God, I hope everyone's staying safe. Well, in a matter of hours, it's doubled in size, according to the Orange County Fire Authority. The fire has spread to 4,000 acres with no containment. About 20,000 homes were evacuated and 500 personnel were battling the flames. And the fire, as we know, it is fall weather. There's a lot of wind happening right now here. So that is not helping the spread. Or that is helping the spread. It's not helping the containment. Right. So that is what's trending this hour. But what's happening in entertainment is, Ryan... All right, let's uh, dive into SNL last night. So Adele obviously was the host. She did phenomenal. But there was one skit about African tourism that is currently under fire. Now, the skit featured her and cast members Kate McKinnon and Heidi Gardner as divorcees touting um, tourism to Africa. Basically, it was a very cringe-worthy skit um, that had Adele and the SNL comedians boasting of Africa uh, tribesmen and and massive bamboos like literally playing into these tropes about black men and just Africa in general like very bad timing especially with the NSAR stuff happening right now and I think the only thing that didn't really make it so 
um, so bad is because Adele kept breaking. She kept laughing. But in the background, you see like very muscular black men escorting white women in color of her sarongs across the beach. And yeah, it just felt weird and gross. And this fetishizing a black man and mocking an area currently dealing with, like I said, unrest over police brutality and the NSARS movement. Yikes. And so let us know what your thoughts are at LGT Show Everywhere. And uh, if you want to know more about this story and so many others, head over to WeirdChannelQ.com. Okay, now coming up, did White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows just say the administration is throwing in the towel on trying to manage the coronavirus? The clip next and more details on early voting numbers with KNX's Ken Charles in two minutes. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows dropped some interesting comments on CNN over the weekend that alarmed many, including medical experts. We're not going to control control the pandemic, we are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation Why aren't we going to get control of the because, pandemic? But because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but why not make contain- efforts to contain it? Well, we are making efforts to contain it. Back with us is KNX Program Director Ken Charles. Ken, the countdown is on. I know you're busy, so thank you for being here. Happy to be here. So what did you think about this uh, and the irony in saying follow regulations, but then in the same breath, none of them are taking it seriously or wearing masks? Well, you could see it. I mean, if you watch the 60 Minutes interview, I mean, Kelly McEnany walked in afterwards with the 800,000 page alleged um, health care plan, not wearing a mask. Other people in the White House are not wearing masks. Um, so hearing Mark Meadows say they've kind of given up on trying to control coronavirus, he, I think he's just stating honestly the obvious what so many people and so many medical experts have seen over the last six months. I mean, it's the most embarrassing thing that the chief of staff of the guy who is running the coronavirus task force has coronavirus. It's just very wild to me. But that's not really stopping the White House because obviously there's an expected Senate confirmation that's supposed to be happening. And that could be like this new super spreader event when it comes to Amy Amy Coney Barrett or whatever her name is. What do we think about that? What's going to happen? Do you think we're going to start seeing more increases from that event? Well, so I saw today, um, and I got to find this because this, this was this was actually really, really good. Okay, so three outbreaks of COVID happened in September in Bemidji, Minneapolis, and Duluth, Minnesota, all directly linked to Trump campaign events. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to see these spreads um, of these of, of of these cases, and already at Trump events. So, you know, we already know that her first little soiree at the White House was a giant super spreader event. But I understand that the Democrats have been in contact with Pence and have asked him not to attend. Okay, yeah, interesting. And also Kamala Harris reacted to Mark Meadows' statements as well. Here's what she had to say. They are admitting defeat. And I've been saying that and Joe Biden has been saying that since the beginning. This is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of America. So with this, with this whole thing about the administration accepting defeat, does this hurt Trump in terms of his voters or does it matter? It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, his statement from four and a half years ago still holds. He could walk down Times Square and shoot somebody and still get reelected. Coronavirus does not seem to be on his side. Um, of the aisle, the thing that's going to 
get people not to vote for him. It is on, 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 on the left. I mean, Democrats are all looking at it. Where I think it hurts him is not that hard, 42%. It's you can see the numbers of, um, you know, unaligned voters shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And it does seem like coronavirus is the thing that is pushing them to vote and to vote for Joe Biden in this election. And look at, you know, he wants suburban women to love him. It looks like suburban women who kind of abandoned Hillary Clinton are all of a sudden coming to the party for Joe Biden. Hmm. Latinos, African-Americans, younger voters, we're seeing those groups vote early um, in huge numbers compared to 2016. Those are numbers that don't bode well for a Republican victory, not only at the top of the ticket, but in some cases down the ballot as well. Yeah. KNX program director. Yeah. KNX program director Ken Charles is with us right now. So, Ken, while you were speaking, I was thinking about this idea when Trump came in, he benefited off of a lot of the good stuff that Obama and Joe Biden did during their administration. But on the other hand, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win and we're still kind of dealing with this pandemic, a lot of this stuff is possibly going to be blamed on them if they don't automatically get it fixed. Is that adding extra pressure and extra weight on the possibility of them having a good, you know, term with if they are elected into office? Like, how much is that really going to impact? It, this, you know, the, the, the dirty little secret about presidents is they affect very little in the now and they affect a lot a year, two years, three years down the road, especially when it comes to the economy. Look, you, you, there are people who will make the argument that some of the things that benefited the Obama economy were tough decisions that George Bush made um, in 2007, 2008. You could say the same thing about Clinton, you know, look, no new taxes. When he raised taxes, George H.W. Bush helped Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton absolutely in the early years of George Bush helped him. So that's not a surprise that the things that happened, both good and bad for a president before you, affect you. You know, he's got a mess to clean up. And I think that there are going to be some very hard times. I mean, look, his, he, he's talking about spending, what, 2.6, 2.7, 2.1, whatever it is, trillion dollars on getting a stimulus package passed as soon as he's in the White House. Something if Joe Biden wins. He's got to pay for that. How is he going to pay for that? He's raising corporate income taxes, and he's going to raise taxes on people who are making over four hundred thousand dollars ken charles will be with us of course on election night because we'll be bringing you coverage right here on channel q and of course he's on knx he's the program director now coming up the plexiglass debate is on is it really enough to protect against covid19 we discuss that next in two minutes the cdc and the u.s department of law is encouraging the use of plastic partitions we've seen them everywhere schools businesses workplaces plexiglass is the thing and it seems to be the preventative measure against the coronavirus but does it work back with us is infectious diseases expert dr michael sag so is plexiglass a false sense of security because it seems like it's everywhere these days yeah i'm kind of thinking of it's mostly that it doesn't have an effect to maybe some degree i'll give it credit that it's probably better than maybe not having plexiglass but the problem is it sort of says to people we have plexiglass, therefore you're totally safe in this environment. And that really isn't true. 
on your show previously, I've gone over the basics of this, right? But just to reiterate, when somebody has the infection and they aren't wearing a mask, they are putting into the environment around them a cloud of virus. That virus gets picked up in air currents and carried from place to place, usually in the immediate vicinity. So let's go into a restaurant. If I'm infected and I'm at a table, and even if I'm six feet from you, quite honestly, uh, the currents of the, of the restaurant can carry the virus to the table next door. And there have been some minor outbreaks or mini outbreaks, if you will, that have happened that way. The thought is, okay, let's put plexiglass between the tables. That'll stop that, maybe, to a small degree. Is but that the, inside the, or outside you're referencing? I'm thinking of inside restaurants. Okay. Outside, you've got air currents. I'm not sure what plexiglass would do at all there. I mean, so inside is where the plexiglass is going to be potentially effective. But the plexiglass isn't a wall. It's, it's like a barrier. And the air currents go over and around it. So the virus will travel with the air currents. Maybe it'll reduce the risk some, but not, not in my opinion, very much. Well, I always think about, especially during this time where the temperature checks and stuff are happening, and even if they do have these plexiglasses, like people can still be asymptomatic. And so I, I think about that where I'm like, how much is it really helping us at this point? Even if you are with your server, they have like their own face mask on, like those little, the face shields. Like, mm -hmm. is that even working? It feels like we're just so antsy to get back into everything that we're just kind of being like, all right, well, this is the bare minimum, so let's accept it. A face shield without a mask is not very helpful. In fact, mm. it's another one mm. of those false senses of security. Let's think again. So if somebody has a virus, they've got a face shield, not a mask. That's just a plastic covering over their face. The virus goes right out from underneath it and into the environment. It's like not wearing anything. A mask and a shield is probably better than a mask alone, but not a whole lot. Yeah. So here's, here's, here's what we really need to think about. We all want to get back to normal. I do too, but we aren't back to a place of normal. To get there, we have to get our overall infection rates really, really low. And then we can start to ease the restrictions. New York, Manhattan in particular, has done it the best of perhaps any other place. And they have not released things back to normal because they felt the sting of this back in April and they're not going to go back. But you see restaurants slowly opening, they're monitoring, while the rest of us are just, all right, we're going back in there, and we're going to just go back to life as normal. The problem is, as we've talked about before, we're in a, a surge or an extended third wave or whatever you want to call it. Bottom line is, we got a boatload of cases right now, more than we've ever had. So if, go back and think how we thought back in March, and if we can apply that to the day – that's what we need to do. We yeah. need to get back to some control of the virus before we even start talking about releasing restrictions. Uh, Dr. Michael Sag is with us, infectious diseases expert. Now, there have been these pictures that have been shared on social media of New York doing these plastic tent bubbles with no ventilation. Is that an issue? Does that help if people are enclosed in these spaces, I guess, outside? And the East Coast is going to be dealing with this a lot since it's going to start getting colder, right? Yeah, I saw those pictures, and I had to say I kind of went, scratch my head, 
What is that doing exactly? <laughs> so you're outside and a wind could blow and that's going to dissipate the virus. You put people in the plastic bubble together and to me, all it does is it increases the chance of if there's somebody inside that bubble, that almost everybody in that bubble, the person inside the bubble, one out of the four are infected. I think you're assured that all three other people are going to get infected. So I, I do wonder, you know, when buildings and, and these restaurants are trying to you know, keep moving on and they're adding air purifiers and changing air ventilation systems. Is that really cost effective for a lot of that? Is it realistic for, you know, people in this economy to do something like that to keep their business afloat? It's likely to be effective, but it's not likely to be cost effective because it's so expensive. And so what we're going to have to do is find these sort of happy mediums where we balance it out. But the best way we can get in front of this is to get our caseload down altogether. Here's the irony, is that the longer this wave of infections continues at the level that it is right now, the longer it's going to be before we even can think about getting back to normal. So if we hunker down, do the right things today, then four weeks from now, our caseloads will be coming down. Eight weeks from now, they, if we continue it, we'll be at a place where we can slowly, underscore that word, begin to release the restrictions. But right now, it's not really safe to be in an indoor closed space with numbers of people more than 10. And most restaurants are in that way, plexiglass or not. Okay, well, Dr. Michael Sag, thanks again and for everything that you're doing. Thanks for having me back. Uh, now coming up, a UPS driver selfies on the road have gone viral. That's next on our Yaz Queen of the Day. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. This guy, Jason Hardesty, probably has the best job ever, Ryan. Okay, He's tell me uh, more. 32 years old. He's a UPS driver, but he spends his days delivering packages in New Orleans and snaps selfies with the puppies he meets along the way. Okay. I mean, you know I love a good dog and I love a good pup. So this is the cutest thing ever. Are you kidding me? Tell me more. What What is he doing? Why is this is like the best job ever? Well, we actually have a clip from Good Morning America. Check it out. I started taking photos with dogs maybe about two years ago. I picked up one dog just goofing around on a Friday, took a photo with him, posted it on my Instagram, and he got me more likes than i ever seen. So every Friday, try to keep up with that. So yeah, Jason Hardesty, follow him on Instagram at jhardesty. And also he includes the hashtag pups of Jay. And he just does that for, I mean, he actually has a job, but the fact that he blended in with something that's very adorable and brings smiles to everyone is just lovely. Yeah, I love this because, you know, a lot of people need this right now, right? There's so much anxiety. And I feel like I always see like UPS drivers. Actually, I saw one uh, the other day and he was actually really nice. Like um, I was walking Coco and she's obviously sees a human and is like, oh, this human loves me. And she runs up to them. And then he's just like really nice. Most of the time they're like super scared, like of just dogs, because I guess it can be triggering because, you know, dogs be attacking the mailmen and these UPS drivers and stuff. But like, gotta he, watch out. He was sweet. And this guy's like just taking a moment to take some cute pictures with them and posting them like that's yeah. a good idea and he's a good-looking man as well and verified now on instagram how about that i'm not verified so i now hate him <laughs> it seems like you need to do go down another path yeah maybe i quit
<laughs> and there you have it. That does it for our show today. <laughs> Happy Monday, everyone. <laughs> We're here for you weekdays here on Channel Q, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on tomorrow's show. Who does Trump owe money to and how that could impact him, whether he's elected or voted out? Plus, I love this story. And mm-hmm. we have Space.com joining us for this. Could we possibly live on the moon? The latest discovery that is making that more of a reality. I would love to live on the moon. I mean, I would love to live in space in general, but I would love to be on the moon. It would be pretty cool. Or just at least visit, right? Yeah, but I mean, I want to be there for a while if I'm going to visit. Like, I don't want it to just be like, you know, like three days and that's it. Long weekends. Yeah, like that's just teasing me. Don't tease me. Okay, you can also listen to us as a podcast. We post all our shows as podcasts on the radio.com app. Just search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, I mean, remember to slay and please don't be Jared Kushner. And vote, please. See you tomorrow. Have a great night. Bye, y'all.